I'm not going to use any particular scripture. I want to give you, I'm going to use like the scriptures in that. It's not really what I usually do, but because of the way the sermon is. Um, there's a new mindset in, in the latest of movements, um, doctrinal, the emergent church, post-modern uh, Christianity you might hear from different churches and that. And they're, they're reinventing and redefining the church, Christians, and doctrine. They don't believe in inerrancy and infallibility of the Word of God. They don't believe certain things. They, it, it's crazy stuff that's going on. And this is not limited um, to universities, but to seminaries and to Christian colleges. Uh, nothing is exempt, and more so today within the church, there's so much um, false teaching going on. And so you've got a lot of admixture that started from the 70s with psychology and New Age stuff and um, all blended in and, and people confuse what really is the Word of God. And so there's a lot of people that um, um, every once in a while they oppose the rapture and they have all kinds of different arguments. And I hope we can dispel some of these as we go through this so you understand exactly what the Scripture says. But uh, I want to examine the Scripture regarding the doctrine of the rapture uh, through threefold lens, three lenses. First, we're going to look at the early church fathers and the rapture because it's important what they taught, okay? And then secondly, we'll look at four different views of the rapture that usually people will fit into. And then we'll finish up with the overwhelming evidence for premillennial, pre-trib rapture. Premillennial means before the thousand year, and pre-trib means that we believe that God is going to take us out of here before the tribulation, great tribulation, okay? And so that's what we believe. And so let's begin with some early church fathers uh, about the rapture. Because many times um, the usual argument is against the uh, teaching of the rapture of the church. There are two. First, that the doctrine of the rapture is, was invented by James Darby. Now, the Plymouth Brethren pastor, James Darby, 1800-1882. Um, but he didn't invent it. That's false. And so many Christians run on information that's given to them and they don't verify it. Though it is true that he brought it back in the most, in the most popular way and, and, and made it very acceptable. And so many people say, well, it's a recent doctrine. Well, that's not true. Um, that the teaching of the rapture is, is recent and it's not really that old. Uh, this is also false being historically and scripturally inaccurate because, you know, let's just say that all of history... Uh, hasn't taught it. And all of a sudden, just this last century, we started teaching it because we're studying the Word of God. Okay, but it doesn't matter how long it hasn't been taught or who's teaching it now. The thing is, you've got to go back to the Scriptures. Jesus taught it. John 14, 1-3, He tells His disciples, Stop being afraid. If you believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many abiding places. If it were so, I would have told you if it weren't so. And I go to prepare a place where whether I am, you may be also. And here it is. And I come back to receive you to myself. To receive us to himself is a rapture. You must make the distinction between Jesus receiving us to himself and we coming back with him to set up the kingdom. Okay? First Thessalonians, every chapter ends with the rapture. And then Paul expounds on it in chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. Second Thessalonians, he comes back, we come back with him. So first Thessalonians, he comes back for his church. Second Thessalonians, we come back with him to set up the kingdom. And the very clear teaching. So 
the credentials of early church fathers, you know, the first century church fathers were the, uh, the disciples and apostles, if you want to look at the connection there. Justin Martyr and Irania studied under Polycarp. Polycarp was a student of John. Um, he worked with the apostle John for over 20 years in ministry. And Irania has also testified the occasional, he occasionally saw uh, John himself. And so from Papias, you're talking about 70 A.D. That's when the, the Romans destroyed the temple. From 70 A.D. to Lactinius, about 285, including Tertullian origin, the doctor of the church father was premillennialist till the 4th century when they began to teach amillennialists. So beginning the 4th century, they started teaching that there's not going to be a thousand-year reign. Well, what do you do with the majority of the, of the Old Testament? What do you do with the 20th chapter of Revelation? And so people just ignore all these things and they teach and they say things, but they don't back it up by Scripture. And that's important. Um, the early church fathers taught the rapture. Let me give you some things. You tell me if you don't think they're talking about the rapture. Irenaeus in 130 to 202 said, on the subject of the, um, of the rapture, he says, oh, who, did not, who did not of themselves rise up their eyes unto heaven, nor return thanks to their maker, nor wish to behold the light of trust, but who were like blind mice, concealed in the depths of ignorance, and the word justly reckoned, and he says, as waste water from the sink, and as the turning weight of the balance, in fact, as nothing, and watch this, and therefore, when in the end, the church shall be suddenly caught up from this. He's talking about the day he's living in. He says, the church is going to be caught up. That's 130 to 202. A.D., okay? John wrote the book of Revelation 95. So you're talking about 35 years from that point forward. You have uh, another guy, Victorianus, in A.D. 240, and his commentary on the book of Revelation clearly shows that he believed in the rapture. He says, quote, I saw another great and wonderful sign, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is completed the wrath of God. And he points to Revelation 15, 1. And these shall be in the last time when the church shall have gone out of the midst. And he quotes 2 Thessalonians 2, 7. He certainly believed in the rapture. They're church fathers. Cyprian, 220 to 258, wrote the treatise of Cyprius, uh, describing the end times, the great, the great tribulation. He says, quote, We who see that the terrible things have begun and know that Still more terrible things are imminent. Many regard it as the greatest advantage to depart from it as quickly as possible. Do you not give God thanks? Do you not congratulate yourself? Watch what he says here. That by an early departure you are taken away and delivered from the shipwrecks of disasters that are imminent. It's talking about the rapture. And on and on and on. You have so many there that taught it uh, over and over again. And so, but let's just say that they're teaching something, and what they're teaching, we don't find in the scriptures. They're not giving you scriptural backing for it, then you don't believe it. So they're quoting 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, um, 1 Corinthians 15, all about that. 
So you must make a distinction when Jesus comes back to receive us to himself and then when we come back with him to set up the kingdom. Two different things. Now the early church fathers saw and taught the age of grace distinct from the great tribulation also. You must make that distinction. Okay? Many that want to put the church in the tribulation, they make no distinction. There was the age of law, the Old Testament, the 400 years silence, and then the age of grace that we're in right now. And we're probably down here at the end somewhere. Okay? The next dispensation is tribulation and great tribulation, seven years. Okay? But when you hear the, the term the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the rapture is a one-time event. Okay? The day of the Lord is a period of time that begins at a one-time event. So let's just say, here's the rapture. The rapture happens right here. This begins the day of the Lord. Let's say this is the seven years. Here's the middle of it. The abomination of desolation Jesus spoke about in Matthew 24, 15. Okay? So, the rapture happens. The day of the Lord begins simultaneously. Ezekiel 38, 39. Simultaneously, Russia attacks Israel too. Simultaneously, the man of sin appears, the Antichrist. All four things have to happen at the same time. You know why? Because the book of Revelation says that the weapons of war, they use them for, to burn for fuel for seven years. Not seven years in one day. Not six years in 359 days. Because the years of the prophetic calendar is 360, not the 65 of Gregorian calendar, but the prophetic year of Genesis. The years in Genesis, 360 days, okay? So, here's the rapture, tribulation, great tribulation. We come back with him. We're raptured. We come back. Then he judges the nations. He, he not only judges the nations, but then Israel judges the 12 tribes. They judge the 12 tribes, the 12 disciples. We judge angels, Paul says. The kingdom is set up. Satan is bound for those thousand years. And all of a sudden, at the end, he lets them loose. And there goes another rebellion. When Satan is loose, now he's released. Why? To show that the heart of man is the problem. All the people that went into the millennial kingdom is people that didn't take the mark of the beast. And God allowed them to live. They live, they marry, they have kids, they have to repent, be saved. Not us, we're ruling with him. But at the end, Satan is loose in the rebellion, the last rebellion. After those thousand years, you have the white throne judgment. Revelation 20. That's where every non-believer will stand before God. To give account of every word, deed, everything. It's not for a second chance of salvation. It's like you get busted and you go to jail. And then the judge says, you know, you got, we're going to sentence you next year. Well, that one year time is dead time. When they bring him back, it's not for a retrial. It's to give him a sentence what they're going to get. So, that's what happens at the White Throne Judgment. People then have to are cast into the lake of fire. That exists right now. We don't know where it's at. But Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, death, everything is cast into the lake of fire. Then after that is the new heaven and new earth. Second Peter 3.10 says, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord began here. It ends over there. So the day of the Lord... It's an Old Testament term for the day of wrath, the day of dispensation, the day of anger, the God's wrath from heaven. And it means all these events are the day of the Lord. But it begins when the rapture happens, all simultaneously. Okay? 
Because Second Thessalonians seven, Second Thessalonians chapter two there says that until he who restrains is removed, when the church is removed, look at all the lawlessness that's going on right now. Nobody gets tickets on the road. I deserve at least four every time I'm, I'm, I'm on the freeway. There's no policeman. If you don't go 80, they'll mow you down. There's laws now that you can't stop any of you from stealing. It's a crime to stop somebody from stealing. This is anarchy that's going on in our country. You see? Isaiah 5.20 says they call evil good, good evil. Sour, sweet, sweet, sour. Never in our wildest dreams could we have believed this 10 years ago. It happened three years ago. But it was being worked up to it. So, you see the dispensation that God gave in Ancrum, but here for the church, the rapture takes place. Romans 5 9, 1 Thessalonians 5 9 says, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are the bride of Christ. He has promised us to be with Him. He said, Stop being afraid. I'm going to come back and receive you to myself. And so it's important to make the distinction between the tribulation and great tribulation. In fact, this small section of seven years is given to us in three increments so we can't miss it. In Revelation 11.3, it's 1,260 days, the first half. It's also given in 42 months, that's the other half. And three and a half years, that's the half. So each half is described by those three twice. That's seven years. You can't miss it. And when you go to Daniel 9.27, the 70th week of Daniel, that was multiplied by seven. So you have to multiply the one week left by seven, which gives you seven. How many years this year? Seven years. So if you interpret the first part of Daniel's prophecy of the 70th week, the first 69, you must multiply the same in the last week. You have to be consistent in your interpretation. And it falls exactly. It's amazing. And so the period also divides into the phrases tribulation and great tribulation. The first three and a half tribulation. Right here in the middle, the Antichrist declares himself God. Second Thessalonians 2. Demands everybody to worship him, take his number, or be beheaded. Last half, great tribulation. Jesus says such as has never been or ever will be. And we've had some pretty horrible times in the world. World War I, World War II, Vietnam, Kuwait, Afghanistan, on and on and on. But nothing, nothing to what's going to happen. And so for us to understand the book of Revelation is very important. We should not be afraid of the book of Revelation. It's the easiest book in the whole Bible. The table of contents is given to you in chapter 1, verse 19. The things that he saw, the glorified Christ, chapter 1. The things that are the church age, chapter 2 and 3, the seven messages. And the things hereafter, as the church goes to heaven, chapter 4 and 5, and the tribulation begins all the way to the end, all the way to the new heaven, the new earth. And so God has given it to us so we understand what's going to happen. And we should know so we can warn people. I'm not looking for Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. I'm looking to him from heaven. First Thessalonians, the very last verse says that. 
He says that you guys repented and, 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 and accepted the Lord, and you are looking to him to deliver you from the wrath to come from heaven. He's coming from heaven in the rapture. And so the period is also called the day of the Lord, the day of wrath. Revelation chapter 6 all the way to 19. That's the period there. So those phrases are all Old Testament because the tribulation period is not for the church, it's for Israel. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He says, how many times I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing, but you would not. Matthew 23, 37-39. And now I leave you desolate. You will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the second coming. The remnant of the Jews. Revelation 12 God hides her in the wilderness, protects her for three and a half years. And he, he collects his remnant of the Jews. Don't confuse the Jews, the remnant, with the church. The church is the bride. The Old Testament saints is the wife. The wives have been put away because of adultery. The bride is a virgin. She's looking for a wedding. I hope you know the difference. <laughs> okay? You have to make those distinctions. We're looking for a heavenly kingdom. Israel's looking for an earthly kingdom. The thousand-year reign is for Israel to gain all the land that was promised them in the Old Testament. All the wealth of the world will go to Israel. Israel, Jerusalem will be the center of the world. It's an amazing thing. And he gives it to us in, in all the scripture. And so, these are the early church fathers on the rapture. And they use the text, the scriptures, to, to make sure that we understand. But again, people will take things out of context and then they interpret it subjectively. So you have to interpret your text with the context. What is being said before? What is, it, what is being said afterwards? How does it fit in the book? As I said, First Thessalonians, if you get a chance, it's only five chapters. Uh, read, you can read it down fast. At the end of every chapter, he ends with the rapture. Jesus taking us out of here. Then he elaborates very much in detail in chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. And so you see that the book is talking about Jesus coming for us. When you read 2 Thessalonians, 23 chapters, it's the second coming coming back. And we're coming back with him. He will punish those who have afflicted the church while it was here on earth. And so the context is very, very important. Now, let me give you four different views on the rapture. There's mid-trip. Mid-trib teaches that the church will go um, through half of the tribulation, and then it'll be removed in the middle. Okay? That used to be a pretty popular uh, a belief. Um, but they spiritualize the first half, and then they take the other half literally. You can't do that. It has to be literal or spiritualize everything. You can't do it. And if the Antichrist appears here, how can you have the church here? When Paul the Apostle of 2 Thessalonians 1 says, until he who now lets is removed. Because somebody had written a letter or prophesied or, or taught, we're not sure, he gives all three of them in the second chapter of 2 Thessalonians. He, and he begins with, I write it to you about our gathering together to him. And about the day of the Lord, because someone has said that they were already in the day of the Lord. And Paul says, Where's, where's the falling away? And where, where's the Antichrist? You know this because I told you when I was with you these things. 
until the church is removed. Many people teach the Holy Spirit will be removed. The Holy Spirit will not be removed. No one can get saved without the Holy Spirit. But we're the church, and the Holy Spirit is working in us. And so we as a church, and we as Christians, we say no. We object to all the evil and everything else. So it's the Holy Spirit through us that restrains the world. Once the church is removed, the non-believer doesn't know, pay attention to the Holy Spirit. It ignores it. Did, did you obey the Holy Spirit when you were out there partying? Not me. The Holy Spirit was here. Once the church is removed, this world, you think it's dark right now. It is going to be so, so dark. Jesus said, such as has never been or ever will be. That's how bad it will be. In fact, if you read Revelation, you start in the opening chapters. The mountains, the wrath of God has fallen upon them. And they call on the mountains to fall on them. But they won't repent of their sorceries or drugs or their fornication, whatever it is. They curse God. We think, well, if a guy gets desperate enough, no, the heart gets hard. Unless you're open to the gospel and the gospel melts your heart. You know, the same wax that hardens the clay melts the wax, right? Same sun. What's the difference? The material. If your heart's open to God, then he'll do the work. If your heart is hardened, like, Steadfast against God. The seed can't penetrate. Not at all. Now, there are others who believe post-trib that the church would go all the way through all the tribulation. But then they have a, Jesus taking us up just to come down. That doesn't make any sense. And if he, if he has, hasn't appointed us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ... Why are you putting the church in the day of wrath? It's inconsistent. It contradicts everything. During the 70s, mid-70s, beginning 80s, there was um, Rosenthal. He taught a pre-wrath rapture as if we needed another view. He said it's three quarters. And there's not much to say about that. It's just foolishness. It makes sense. And, I, and again, let me give you an example. In the scriptures, anytime you read, no man knows the day or the hour, it's talking about the rapture, not the second coming. Because Daniel tells us that from the abomination of desolation, when the Antichrist stops the sacrifice, you can count down 1,260 days, Look to these, and Jesus will be coming back. So we know the day Jesus returns, but you've got to be here to start the countdown. I won't be here. So when it says, no man knows the day or the hour, we're talking about the rapture. Matthew 24, 36, okay? Because Matthew's talking to the Jews. Matthew's written to the Jew. The key verse, the key phrase this is done in fulfillment of, because to them we're given the word of God, the oracles of God, Paul says, right? So the Jew, because they rejected Jesus, they're going to go through tribulation. The tribulation is to prepare Israel for her Messiah, because they rejected him the first time. And so 
people start putting dates and numbers, you know, we got to be real close, especially right now, right? People start saying, well, let's count down this and that. Don't count anything. Anybody gives you a date, get up and walk out. No man knows the rapture. But if you're left behind, you can count down seven years times 360 days, and you'll know the middle, and you'll know the end. All right? Daniel, 69 weeks of Daniel. 69 weeks have been fulfilled. Multiply that, it comes out to 483 years. 173,880 days. The command that was given to our Xerxes, to Nehemiah, on March 14, 445 B.C. And you project that forward to April the 6th of 32 A.D. Based on the 360 biblical year of Genesis. It falls on the same day Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. The first 69 weeks, ladies and gentlemen, has been fulfilled. There's only one week left, Daniel 9, 27. Seven years. It's a day of wrath. Tribulation, great tribulation. God has not appointed us to wrath, but salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, John in Revelation, in chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, he says, I will keep you to the church of Philadelphia. I will keep you from the hour. The article is there. The hour that will come upon the entire world. The word in the Greek there is earth dwellers. Are you an earth dweller? Not me. I'm a heavenly citizen. The hour. Seven years of wrath. So when you look at the scriptures, you've got to keep them lined up. You know, it's like your kitchen. You go in there, you know, and this is a silverware drawer. You, you know, if you, if you open up the silverware drawer and you find some pasta, you say, what's going on here? And there's got to be forks and knives and spoons and teaspoons and soup spoons, stuff like that. And the same thing with the scriptures. So you understand the categories and what's going on, the books, that, what they teach. And so you see the dispensation of God, how he's laid it all out. Very, very important. And so we believe that we will be removed before the wrath of God is poured on this world. We believe that those four things will happen simultaneously. Sometimes, well, we, I don't know whether they happen all the same. They have to happen at the same time. Because of the seven years that they were, they burned the weapons of war. Can't have it any other way. So, the rapture, the day of the Lord begins. Ezekiel 38, 39, Russia attacks Israel. And the Antichrist appears on a white horse with a bow, no arrows. He conquers through diplomacy, false peace. Revelation chapter 6. What follows are the four horses of the apocalypse. War, famine, death, pestilence. A time like never before. Now we've had famines in the world. We have them all the time. We've had pestilence. We've had earthquakes. But in these seven years, those seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls or vials, depending on your translation, like never has ever been or ever will be. Totally different. It's very, very specific. And so a lot of people will take stuff from Matthew 24 and 25 and they'll start playing games with it. Matthew 24 and 25, they go together. Okay? Like peanut butter and jelly. Jewish ground. Jewish ground. Matthew 24, 25 is talking about the second coming, not the rapture. It's the second coming. 
Read it over and over again. By the end of 24, Jesus is already back. What does he do in 25? You have the five foolish virgins and the wise virgins, right? Many times people teach that as the rapture. Can't be. It's the second coming. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb on earth. The marriage of the Lamb takes care in heaven. When we get raptured, we get married with Jesus in heaven. We come back with him at the marriage supper. Five of those virgins never get into the supper. <laughs> okay? It's the second coming. And so the trouble is they get Matthew 24, 36, no man knows the day or the hour, and they teach the rapture there, but it's talking about the second coming. So what is the focus of Matthew 24 and 25? The day of the Lord, day of wrath. You look at that, you can put it side by side with the book of Revelation, what Jesus said. It's a very specific time. And so the overwhelming evidence for premillennial, pre-trib, let me give you some of that. The nature of the church in contrast to Israel is very important. The church is comprised of Jew and Gentile. The uh, book of Ephesians says Jew and Gentile, one in Christ Jesus, right? And so um, Paul divides the, the church in three aspects. Either Jew, Gentile, listen to the third one, the church of God. So either you're a Jew and Gentile in Christ Jesus, the church of God, or you're a Jew that's not saved, or you're a Gentile and not saved right now. That's a threefold division the Bible gives us, okay? And so... Um, the church has to be distinguished from the Jewish nation. Very, very important. Now, we know that some Gentiles proselyted into Israel and became Jews. But that's what they wanted to do with the church. But Paul and them didn't put up with it. No. If you're a Jew and you're born again, you're a Christian. It means Christ-like. Okay? The church was a mystery concealed in the Old Testament. Romans 16, 25, and 27. Paul speaks about it in Ephesians 3, 1 through 7. A mystery. It wasn't seen clearly in the Old Testament, but once you come to the New Testament, Paul makes it very, very clear. Jew and Gentile 1. The church of Jesus Christ. The bride. The family of God. So there's no difference between male, female, Jew, Gentile, Scythian, barbarian. You know, the, the barbars were the people who were ignorant, okay? They, they didn't speak Greek. The Scythians, they were up in the northern uh, Crimea by Russia. And you know what they did? They used to get the captives and decapitate them and boil their skulls and use them for drinking vessels. Paul says, they can be saved if they repent. <laughs> All right? He makes it very clear. So... The, the, the world is, is divided into those areas. The church is called the bride of Christ. That's the highest order. We are the bride of Christ. Now, is, we're not the bride of Christ because we're spotless or because we're, we've been pure all our life. We're the bride of Christ because he has cleansed us and made us whiter than snow. Because we repent from our sins and we thank him and we know that he died in our place. And as we believe that he did and that he's able to transform our hearts and to forgive us and to give us a new nature to live the new life, then this is what the bride is. And she's waiting for that wedding. And so we're called to be faithful. 
In fact, in Ephesians, you have the parallel of, of Christ to the church and a husband to wife. The same parallel teaching. Same thing. Christ is the head of the church. The man is the head of the home. And he's responsible for the home. And God holds him responsible for that. It's after the manner of Christ. So the church is being built by Jesus until the church age closes. Um, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it in Matthew 16, 18. He builds it. Now, we get to preach the gospel and we get to give an invitation and we get to see people come, but I've never saved anybody. And if they think I did, they're probably not saved. <laughs> we preach the gospel and the people whose hearts are open, the Holy Spirit gives the illumination and he allows a person to see that they're sinners, they're enemies of God, and they're living apart from God, and that Jesus is God who became man, died for their sins, and rose from the dead. And then God illuminates that to give them understanding. But then they have to make a decision. Do they want to accept him as Lord and Savior? No one gets saved by accident. <laughs> it's a decision you make. God initiates, man responds. God told Adam and Eve in the garden, don't eat of that. God initiated. If you do, you're going to die. Their response, I don't believe them. They ate of it. Now, either Adam exercised his own will to eat of that fruit, or God set him up. God forced him. Of course he didn't. And the evidence of that is that there were consequences. And they kicked them out of the garden. How many of us as parents, when we give consequences to our children, is it because we hate them or because we love them? It's because we love them. And because we've warned them. And they're old enough to understand, right? If Adam didn't understand God, then, then God's the, the most unjust person that's ever existed. But he isn't. He's holy. Just and good. And so he builds this church. And right now, blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentile comes in. And so, right now, we're looking to the evil that's going all over the world. And as I said three years ago, you wouldn't even believe the stuff that's going on now. And yet, it's here. It's hard to believe the things that are going on in our world. The nature of the church age also is in contrast to the nature of the tribulation time. The church age is characterized by grace. We preach the gospel. Anybody can be saved. The tribulation period is a time of wrath, a time of deception, a time of death. Do you realize that, that um, in, in the first um, six seals, a quarter of the population of the earth will be destroyed? If you keep adding up the quarters and the thirds that go on, by the time we come back with Jesus, there's not that many people coming. Right now already with the vaccines and all the stuff, they've killed over 60, 70 million people already. They're doing a great job. You stop and think about it. The vaccines, the demonizing ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine that heals you. I took ivermectin. Two days. I was done. Okay? They withheld medicine from people that could have. They took people to the doctors in the hospital. They kept them there. They didn't get them better. They could have gotten them better. They just held them until their lungs got worse. They put them on a ventilator, and they killed them because they get money when they check in on the COVID, 
and they get money when they put them on the ventilator, and they get money if their death certificate says COVID. Wow. It's amazing the things that are going on, ladies and gentlemen. And the doctors know this. That's an amazing thing. Then you flip the page on the other side, and they're all for homosexuality because they can't reproduce. Right? They're into abortion because then you're depopulating the earth also. And people wait later to get married and have lesser kids. All of that fits in to depopulate the earth. Everything you see going on is against God. Listen, listen what, what Satan said to Eve. Has God said? Has God said only male and female? Yep. They said, no, no. Has God said populate? Yes. Has God said the man's the head of the home? Yes. Everything's attack against God's word, against God. Absolutely everything that we see as a church. And if we're not studying and we don't know God's word, many people are being deceived today. Even within churches. The nature of the removal of the church in contrast to the second coming has to be, has to be made. Otherwise, you have a confusion. Again, blindness is part of happening to uh, Israel. And listen, until the fullness of the Gentile comes in, Romans 11.25. The fullness of the Gentile there in Romans is the full number of people to be saved. When that happens, the rapture happens. So blindness in part of Israel. Then the tribulation focuses on Israel to open her eyes and prepare for a Messiah. Jesus said in, in Matthew 23, 37, 38, You will not see me henceforth, you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the second coming. The remnant of Israel. But not everybody's Israel. Paul picks that up in Romans chapter 2. There's a lot of Jews over there in Israel. But there's just secular Jews. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in anything. The whole land is kosher because of the Knesset, the way they have their government set up. But they don't believe in God. But there's a remnant that God has. Just like he has his remnant of the church. If you think everybody that comes to this building is saved, you're crazy. If you think everybody in this building comes in and loves Jesus, you're nuts. Every person in hell right now is not blaming God. Every person in hell right now knows they sent themselves there because they reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. No one in hell right now is blaming God at, at all. They know that they know that they put themselves there because they rejected Jesus Christ. See, people have big mouth here. Not in hell. No one's complaining. Guaranteed. Now they're eternally separated from God. Why? Because of the hardness of the heart. They reject the love of God. There's no greater sin than that against love. When a person would do all that they can and to help somebody and to help them and to do whatever, and a person would spurn it or to just take advantage of it. It adds insult to injury. And that's exactly what's happened with mankind towards God. You know, you had the two guys on the cross, and um, the one, both of them cursed him, as you know. And then 
A couple hours later, the one said, you know, Jesus, remember when you come to your kingdom. He says, today, today you'll be with me in paradise. The minute Jesus died, and he died, they descended to the lowest parts. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says, Ephesians 4, 9 and 10. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 9 and 10 also, and he led captivity captive, and he made a public display, and no one could stop him. And he scooped up all those who died in faith, believing in the Messiah to come. And he transferred paradise. Because remember, hell, what we usually call hell, it's Hades or Sheol in the Old Testament. In the Greek, it's, it's a twofold compartment. This half was a place of torment. This place, the half is a place of comfort. The place of comfort is also called paradise or the bosom of the Father. Okay? Bosom of Abraham. When Jesus descended, he took paradise and he took it to the third heaven. Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 3 says, I knew a man about 23 years ago, whether in the, in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but he was caught up to the third heaven, and there I saw and heard things not lawful to utter. Paradise is in the third heaven where God dwells now. So now this that used to be two full compartment is one compartment. You can read about it as Jesus explains it in Luke 16 with the rich man Lazarus that die. Okay? Remember, he says, hey, Father Abraham, have Lazarus dip his finger in cool water because I'm burning. He says, son, you had the prophets. You had everything in life. Yeah, but I've got five brothers. Well, they have the prophets. They have the scriptures. And he says, even if someone comes back from the dead, they wouldn't believe. Did Jesus come back from the dead? Of course he did. Do people believe? Nah. <laughs> For you to be saved, saving faith has to point you back to the scriptures. If what you believe and you call faith cannot be traced to the scriptures, your faith is, starts with the same letter, but it's foolishness. For it to be biblical faith, it has to point you back to the scripture. God says that God made his son to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, Second Corinthians 5.21. I put my faith on that. That whosoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. If I put my trust in that, that's biblical faith. That I cannot earn my salvation, but it's by grace through faith, believing in Jesus being the Lamb of God. That's biblical faith that can save me. But it must point me back to the scriptures. Not to feelings, not to emotions, not to works, not to anything else. But the word of God. Completely. And so there's a key word that Paul uses in in First Thessalonians chapter four, verse sixteen and seventeen, he said, We shall be caught up. The Lord will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. We shall be caught up in the air. The word is harpazo. The word rapture comes from the Latin. It's not Greek. Harpazo is synonymous with that. Of the 13 times that word harpazo is used, every time it means suddenly, violently removed and is taken from one geographical location to another. I'll just give you a few of them. Remember when the Ethiopian eunuch was in the desert and Philip went out and preached to him? He took him, he baptized him, and Philip was harpazo to azotus, translated. Paul was caught up, 2 Corinthians 12, 
three. Harpazo to the paradise, the third heaven. Same word. A sword went out to sow seed. One fell by the wayside. And the birds of the air, Satan, came by and harpazoed the seed to the air. Suddenly, violently. That's the only seed that never penetrated the soil. You see, the parable of the sower, the only way you can properly interpret it is that those are four hearts it tells us. You have the hard heart. The seed falls there, never penetrates. That's the only one that's never born again. There are some people that are never born again. But the other three, some fell on shallow ground. But it sprouted. Okay? The next one, thorns and thistles. But it got choked out. But it sprouted. Then the fourth one, 30, 60, 100 full. Three were born again. Two fell away. One was never born again. That's what the Bible teaches. You see? Whose fault was it? The person's heart. Those four souls are heart. The heart of man. But we don't give up on people because those that are in shallow ground or on thorny ground, they might get their act together before they die. Okay? So God is gracious while we're here. But once you die in a lost state, there's no second chance. That's it. It's appointed unto man to die once and then the judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says, everybody gets one shot of life. That's it. That's why the gospel is so um, adamant about going out to the world ministering the gospel because of the imminent loss of mankind. There, there is everybody in hell, as I said earlier, they'll never get another chance. Never. When they're brought to judgment by God, it's to sentence them for all their evil, for all the things they've done. And so you've got we as a Christians, we go before what's called the Bema Seat of Christ, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 14 and 15, where he will uh, reward us. And he says there, silver, uh, gold, precious stone, or, or wood, hay, or stubble. Of course, wood, hay, or stubble, it, it lights up, so you get no reward. But silver, gold, and precious stone turns the permanency into pure, and therefore you get some reward. But the motive of the heart is what God is going to reward us in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. See, God's not interested in how much I've done or what I've done. He looks at my heart. Why and how I did that? Did I do it because I love God and I love the person? Then I may get some reward. But he's not impressed that I do a lot. <laughs> he, that's not how God is. So, You've got Christians who will get rewarded. You've got five crowns that are mentioned, different levels. And you've got levels of punishment. If you've got distinct levels of reward, you have to have distinct levels of punishment because he's a holy God, right? He can't just say, well, I just throw them all in the hole. No. God's not going to judge and punish a liar the same as he will a murderer. He's just or a rapist. He's going to judge them exactly according to their deeds 
and the motive of the heart. No one's going to have to give God information. He, um, he knows the heart. He knows everything. And um, we trust him for that. And so what we're looking for while we're here on earth is to be a light and salt to the world. We are the church. We are his bride. And as you, you, the, the influence you guys are here in this area, you guys don't realize it, but it's a light to the area with all the stuff that goes on. And God uses that as people see you come in and walk from a block away or whatever it is. God uses all that. And you guys are the community of God's redeemed here that God has put you here for his glory to minister his love and the gospel. And to your attention, you know, a lot of people, a lot of Christians are becoming um, couch potatoes. You know, they stay home and watch me on the tube. Well, if you're sick, you got a broken leg, or, you know, you got up and you were going to come to church this, tonight, and, you know, you got a flat tire, fine, look at it the, at the Internet. But other than that, you need to be in church. You are the church. The church is not the building. The church is the people. So we come together to study God's Word, to worship God, to encourage one another, to pray with one another, to pray for one another, to serve the community. That's what we do. That's the church of Jesus Christ. People are reinterpreting the church, re-describing the church. They're changing it around. They're making it a place to just kind of get, you know, get familiar with people and, you know, have a lot of fun. And you just, you know, you, you make all kinds of different plans. And, but there's nothing about Christ going on. You guys have heard about Hillsong, right? Hillsong, great music. But it's a, it was a church. Corrupt to the bone. In every way. It wasn't a church. It was a nightclub. A social club. A place to rip people off. A place to seduce women. If you think that's the only one like that, you're crazy. <laughs> Nothing new under the sun. So you have the true church and the false church. How do you know the Word of God? If you know the Word of God, then you know who is, who is speaking from God's Word, who is a Christian, who's not. And so the nature of the coming of Jesus for us in the rapture is eminent. It can happen any time. There is nothing that I can see in Scripture that has to be fulfilled for the Lord to come for His church. Not one thing. Israel came back to the land in 1948. They're in the land. That was the thing that was lacking. Prior to 1948, they still weren't back in the land. But the Zionist movement happened, and, um, you know, they're back in the land. And they've been there ever since. And they're no bigger than Rhode Island. And yet all seven nations attacked them at one time, and they, they whipped them. <laughs> it's God's for them. Now, they're not back with God completely. They're back in the land, but they're not back with God. They'll be back with God at the second coming, the remnant. The same thing happened in the Babylonian captivity. God took them into captivity for 70 years, and then he said, I'm going to bring you back. They didn't believe it, but he did. And even though they came back to the land after the Babylonian captivity, but they weren't back with God. They just started back on their old thing, building their, their houses and doing this and doing that, and, and the prophets called them out. So God's always pursuing us. 
always pursuing his people. But you must make a distinction between the church and Israel. Don't mistake them. The majority of Christian uh, colleges, uh, APU, Biola, and all of them, uh, Fuller Cemetery, I call it, um, down the street from us, um, they, they all believe that the church is uh, spiritual Israel, that we are the real Israel. Really? How can you miss it? How can you miss it when it's very clear in the New Testament? Remember what they tried to do there in the first church council in Acts 15? And Paul, he's up in Antioch, and they wanted to circumcise uh, some of the guys up there because they were Jew- the Judaizers came in. And he says, not in your life. So they came down and all that. And, and he says, listen, all you guys have to do is keep yourself from blood, from strangled things, from fornication. If you do that, you do well. You're not under the Mosaic law. So the Jews wanted to make the church an extension of Judaism. The apostles of the first church council said, not in your life. No way. And so you have the distinction between Israel, the nation, and the church, Jew and Gentile, one in Christ Jesus. And so we're not looking for Antichrist. We're looking for Jesus Christ. And as we see the day getting closer and closer and everything happening, uh, it's important that we understand what the church fathers um, had to say about it. They taught the rapture. But even if they didn't, what does your Bible say? The plumb line is the Bible. That's the authority. Whenever you hang a plumb line, if you're a contractor, you never look at that plumb line and say, doggone it, that plumb line's crooked. Plumb line's never crooked. It's always a wall or whatever you're measuring to it. You hang that line, it'll be absolutely straight. And you put a nice heavy plumb line at the end. You've got a perfect vertical line. It'll show everything else crooked that doesn't line up with it. This is the Word of God. You know the Word of God? The Word of God is a plumb line. It will tell you this is true, this is false. This is right, this is wrong. This is God's Word, this is man's Word. And it's very, very important. And that's why we study God's Word. And so when somebody tries to tell you about the rapture being a new, new doctrine and that it was invented by man, uh, point to the words of Jesus, the words of Paul, uh, Revelation, the, the visions. Again, the book of Revelation is the easiest to understand. Everything is interpreted for you. Nothing's left to your chance. It's all interpreted by Jesus. In the first chapter, it gives you all the emblems and then as you go on. So you have the glorified Christ in chapter 1. The things that are, the church age, chapter 2 and 3. And then thereafter, you have the third division that goes from the church being in heaven, the beginning of the tribulation period, all the way down to the new heaven and the new earth. Okay? So you have to understand different things. Like I said, the day of the Lord is not just one-time event. The rapture is a one-time event, but the day of the Lord is a period of time with all kinds of these events. And so that's where people get messed up. Where'd you get all that? In the Bible? Do you know there's more material on the millennial kingdom than any other subject in the Bible? Nobody ever teaches on it or studies it. The worship, the, uh, the sacrifices, the land, the, the, the distribution, all of that, the tribes, all they got to have, it's all laid out for us. But again, that's what we call, we're called to study to show ourselves approved unto God. 
a workman doesn't need to be uh, rightly, rightly divine the word of truth. So you can divide what is true, what is there. You have the same Holy Spirit I have. You have the same mind I have. You have the same Lord I have. You have the same Bible I have. You have the same salvation I have. You can know the Word of God just like I can know the Word of God. But it's not just reading. If we would spend more time in the Word of God than other things, we'd be a lot better, better off. I mean, we have so much advantage today. You know, you can get um, you download the New Testament and Old Testament just in reading, no commentary. And you can you go to work in an hour in the morning. You can put the Re- book of Revelation, and you'll hear all the book of Revelation, an hour, an hour, and ten minutes. On the way back, you put another one, two or three small epistles. You can, you can hear the whole New Testament in one week. Easy. The Word of God in you. Very, very important. None's going to transform you except the Word of God. As you take it in, let the Holy Spirit do that work. And your heart is set and you're looking for the Lord to come for you. And to use you while you're here, you're, He's going to use you completely. And so, um, always go by the Word of God. The rapture is all over. It's in the Gospels. In fact, in Mark, I'm sorry, Luke, he says, Pray that you are worthy to stand before the Son of Man and escape all these things. What things? Tribulation, great tribulation. The gospel, three chapters give you the tribulation, great tribulation. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. Luke 21, 36 says, Pray that you be worthy to, to stand before the Son of Man and escape all these things. What things? The day of wrath, the day of tribulation, great tribulation. And so we're looking for Jesus Christ, not Antichrist. Very, very important. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, your love and goodness. We love you. We do thank you, Lord, for everything. We pray, Lord, that you be glorified in our lives. Thank you for every person here. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to those that perhaps don't know you, Lord. They would open their hearts to you and ask you to save them, Lord. Father, we just thank you, Lord. Lift them to you, Lord. And Father, you continue the work here, Father, as... um, you use them for your glory, Lord. As you're praying, if you, if you don't know Jesus and you recognize you're a sinner, that's the grace of God. If you see yourself as a sinner, then, you know, God says, now what do you